Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of Hammering Down. I'm your host, K.R. Hodges, and I'm hoping you're having a great, great day. Uh, this episode is being recorded just one day after I did the Hartford post-match reactions, so that tells you just about how far behind I am right now in recording <laughs> things. Oh, well, we'll, be, we'll get over it. I just want to go ahead and go ahead, and if you missed this last episode, um, or if you haven't caught up yet, I'm working with Olive and York. I'm working on getting a little specialized kit. I'm going to try to make the hammering down part of it pretty understated. And that way the, the kit itself is the main focus. So I'm excited to share that with you guys. And also this Saturday, we are doing the second live show. And it's going to be at Ghost Town Brewery. And I believe it's at 6.30. Is that the game is at 7.30 Eastern time. So, yes, it will be starting at 6.30 Central time. Uh, so get out to Ghost Train. Have a great time. If you can't make it out for whatever reason, just throw on the live stream and play it alongside of the TV broadcast. Um, so, yeah, thank you all for jumping on that. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from that. So thank you. But you don't really care about what I have going on in my personal life. It's either Legion or Bust. We could care less about the the nerdy redneck that is on the microphone right now. Um, you know, but I don't know everything about the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Even though it's basically Legion South, we don't know everything <laughs> about them. So I have brought into I've brought a new guest on, uh, someone that I've listened to uh, some of their stuff before, and I really, really enjoy it. Um, obviously, last time I talked to Dan and I've talked to John Morrissey, you know, they were the Tampa Bay guys. But guess what? There's a lot of good creators down there, including Mr. James Knoll of, let's see if I get this right, Rowdies, Bucks, Lightning, Rays. That's so right. That's right. Yep. Rowdies, you got it. Yeah. I had to guess on the Rays and Rowdies. I was like, we're just going to put the Rowdies first because, I mean, it, it, for this podcast, it will be. <laughs> James, I like doing? that. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Um, I've had a relatively good day. Um, my dad is Scottish, so I have grown up supporting the Scottish national team, and they just beat Spain somehow. Um, 2 0, right? Uh, yeah, 2 0. So um, I, am, I am over the moon, you could say. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, first time since the '80s. I mean, McTominay goes in there and gets his brace, and what a what a match! I mean, I I can't tell us. I, I don't want to take this away from you, but I can't tell if Spain's fallen off or Scot or Scotland's gotten a lot better, or if it's just both. Um, I think that, in all honesty, this was probably the best roster that Scotland put out, but it was definitely not the best roster that Spain could have put out. And, you know, the combination just worked out today. It was probably also a little bit of, you know, maybe some disgusting Scottish weather that the Spanish aren't used to, but <laughs> we'll take advantage. You know, kind of speaking of disgusting weather, I mean, Tampa Bay and Birmingham are kind of the kings of disgusting <laughs> weather. I mean, it's always raining, constantly raining. It's always storming, lightning galore. Um, <laughs> good thing for you guys. Al Lang is no longer a baseball field. It's just a soccer pitch and you don't have to have rain delays or not that many ways. So that's nice. Yeah, no, um, for sure. The, uh, you know, the renovations, which they do seemingly every year, but, uh, the renovations that they do to make it more soccer specific and make it more amenable to fans because it is an older stadium, you know, that's definitely true, but um, it's got a charm about it. It's got some stuff that you could probably say needs a little bit of work, 
um, you know, no sugar coating that, but otherwise I still think that it's a pretty good place. And I think that it's also a lovely location. I think like, uh, a lot of millennials have developed this, you know, urbanist mindset and, uh, the fact that it's downtown and, um, you can reach it by, uh, our new public, uh, infrastructure down there. It's, it's kind of got a lot going for it at the moment. You know, every time that we play, uh, and I'm trying to remember before I say this and embarrass myself, um, every time we played Tampa Bay, it always reminds me of the St. It's a St. Petersburg joke that I heard years ago. And it's so stupid. It's, it's an eye roller. No one laughs. And I want to tell it anyway. So you can, and everybody else listening can uh, promptly log off and stop listening. <laughs> Um, I was, it's a long one, so I'm just going to throw it out there. So it was basically two guys or, uh, it was a couple walking down the street of St. Petersburg. Where was I? I'll cut that out. No, I won't. Um, (laughs) um, so this, this couple was walking down the, the sidewalk of of St. Petersburg and it's close to Christmas time and it's starting to get a little bit chilly out as chilly as St. Petersburg can be anyway. And, it suddenly starts to rain and or precipitate anyway. And the man looks at his wife and says, um, honey, it's starting to rain. And the wife, silly old wife says, mm, I think this is snow. It's cold out here. This is snow. And he said, absolutely not. This cannot be snow. We all know what snow looks like. And this has to be rain. So they walk up to his police officer standing on the side of the street and they, it's an officer well-known around town named, uh, he's from Russia, and his name is Officer Rudolph. And they say, Officer Rudolph, is it snowing or raining? And Officer Rudolph says, comrade, it's obviously raining. And so the man smiles and looks at his wife and says, you see, dear, Rudolph the Red knows rain, dear. Gotcha. I see it. I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I've wasted like two minutes of everybody's life and that's fine. This is but my no point. eye rolls. No eye rolls. No eye rolls. <laughs> <laughs> if you're driving, please don't roll your eyes too hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so moving on from that, I don't know how to segue from that other than just say it's okay to be disappointed in me. Um, <laughs> this just kind of explain the kind of world around Tampa Bay sports because it's admittedly weird, right? Because you are Rowdies, Bucks, Lightning, Rays. And it's always talked about how the Rays never have anybody at their field, same ownership as the Rowdies, but they also have one of the highest TV. Like they get the most people watching on TV than any other team in MLB. You get the Bucks who were really good just not too long ago. You know, winning a Super Bowl, being very competitive, and it's still just kind of a weird vibe because it just kind of came out of nowhere. The Lightning mm-hmm. are arguably the best team in the NHL again. Uh, the Bruins are actually really good this year, but still, I mean, you have, I mean, you have a lot of great. Like Vasilevsky still plays for them, and he's is up there with the best uh, goalie of all time. Really good team there, and then you have the Rowdies and. These are a lot of things like hockey existing and baseball existing, but not thriving, but it is thriving. And the Bucks being whatever the Bucks are. And then the Rowdies have been this one singular 
strand of consistency. They are just consistent year in, year out. They're going to be competitive, and they're packing their stadium, which is unusual for Tampa Bay. What makes the Rowdies so different? Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting question. So if I took each one of those by turn, we might be here a little while. But, um, you know, I, I think that it all comes down to uh, – Mostly for each individual team, I think that there is an important factor that comes from the ownership groups because, like you said, the Lightning do have a very good team. They are obviously competitive. I think that that helps. Additionally, we do have a lot of people in Florida and Tampa Bay area as well who actually come from northern states where hockey might be more prevalent anyway. So, you know, that makes sense. Uh, with the Bucks, I think that it's kind of, I think that it's kind of an anomaly when they are successful because. Growing up, as I have most of the most of the time, they sucked, and then they also happened to one win two Super Bowls in you know the last what twenty whatever years. Yeah. So that that was that. It, yeah, those seem like the anomalies. Um, with the Rays and the Rowdies being the same ownership group, it's a little interesting. So the Rays play in St. Pete as well, uh, which is on the western side of the bridge, obviously, and. The uh, yeah, the stadium. I think it's just not in a place where it's conducive to people wanting to go there. Now, uh, it is actually also considered downtown St. Pete. There's like a cutoff at the highway, and it's before the cutoff, so it would be like also downtown. But it's not. I don't know. Um, you know, if you put them into if Al Lang were still a baseball stadium, and that's where the Rays played, they would probably be able to sell it out every every week because you know Al Lang is in a gigantic place on its own. But um, with the Rowdies, I think that there is that bit of history because we do have some number of fans who are from, you know, they went to Rowdies games in the past, like in the old NASL days. And the Rowdies had, a, like the Rowdies were an NASL franchise that had a team, I think the latest out of all of them that existed, like they still had an indoor team well after the NASL had disbanded. So there is still some you know, local recognition of the name. The name itself actually does mean something. But uh, yeah, luckily, I think that it is a good enough size that we can fill it every week for the most part and, um, you know, still look good on TV, so to speak. But it's also, I think it is in a good location. And I think that it is another final thing is that like, you know, soccer is the number one sport played by children across America. And then they'll also play another sport. And some of them might specialize in that other sport as they grow older. But the Rowdies are, you know, a very family-friendly atmosphere. There are always tons and tons of families. There are whole teams that are there, like, every single week. So I think that there are a lot of factors that go into that. And then, um, you know, with the Rays being not even when we're not even sure that they're going to stay in the area, I think that also can impacts fans. Luckily, we haven't heard anything like that from the from you know from the ownership group with the Rowdies. I think that it would be a lot harder just because of the way that you know the different leagues are set up. So I think that all of that is very important to consider when we're looking at you know who's going to show up to which games and um, and for the Rays, if it just I think if it were just in a better place, that would be better. But I don't honestly know where that'll be because. Um, they're trying to put them in a part of Tampa that I hold dear, which is Ybor City, and I would prefer they not tear it down and put a stadium there. So I would, I'd be great, uh, you know, I, I'd be great seeing them stick around, but uh, it'd be great also to see them in a downtown Tampa setting. But 
uh, yeah, like I said, I just don't know what that is. The rowdies so far for what they are have nailed it. And if we don't ever get up to, you know, the top divisions of American soccer, then I think that we'll be perfectly fine within the settings that we have. Yeah. And I know, um, I know for Legion fans, this was one of those, the rowdies are a weird team for us, right? Because except for Atlanta United two and Memphis, they were our closest team, even though it's, you know, so, so far away. Um, (laughs) And this is when we came into the league, Tampa Bay, they weren't quite the juggernauts that they've been for the last three-ish years, but they were still really freaking good, right? And we knew that, but Legion have always been a team that have played Tampa Bay well. We not a bogey team because they've beaten us, I believe, more times, you know, than we've beaten Tampa, but it's always a one goal game. I don't think any of the games have been an actual blowout. Um, it's always been a one goal game, a draw one way or the other. It always feels like it's on the brink of falling either way. Um, and it's, it's a team that whenever it comes out, it's always like, okay, Tampa Bay is going to be a team. They have talent. They have good coaching staff. They do what they do. Um, but how's Legion going to stack up? And it seems like every year it doesn't really matter who's on the pitch, both teams are just going to play each other well. Is that kind of the same idea that's kind of shared in Rowdy Land? Honestly, I would say so. I mean, you know, Birmingham has developed a, a reputation as a team that is not, like you said, not a pushover or anything like that. It's never a blowout. Um, it's it's uh, a tough team. And you guys have, um, I think, built on that this year. Obviously, right now, Birmingham is top of the table uh, in the East, so it's it's not you know by accident, of course. And um, while well, we're languishing at the bottom, but yeah, it's um, it's it's uh, based on different games that we've played where it has been close. And I think also, like if you follow the league w- pretty well, then you're going to know that there is um, there's uh, talent in Birmingham. Like there are names that you're familiar with. And even those names you're not familiar with, you get to you get a couple minutes of them. You're like, okay, I get what they're about. They're pretty good. But um, you know, I guess for the casual fan, they might not have as good an idea. Um, like Birmingham might not stand out like I guess Louisville City, but I think that Louisville City stands out, you know, among teams across the whole of the league. It's not just even in the Eastern Conference or anything like that. So if we can rival that, that'd be pretty good. But um, yeah, I, I would say the Birmingham specifically is is uh, they have their reputation and it's and, um, you know, it's certainly not a bad one. And I think that also if I'm, you know, kind of reading uh, the online tea leaves, I guess, and kind of reading the the trends as well. It's also that Birmingham is generally going up. You know, um, everything seems to be pretty cool. I went to the uh, I went to the 2022 season home opener, which was in Birmingham because my sister is a soccer coach and she was uh, she was coaching in Birmingham at that time. I actually forget the school, but um, she or excuse me, it was in uh, Montgomery. So it was actually away from there. But we went to visit her and then we drove down to Birmingham for the game. We made a whole weekend out of it. You know, that was pretty fun. And uh, I was I was joking, you know, on the sideline with the with the uh, other Birmingham fans that were around us. And um, everybody was telling me roughly the same story. You know, it was cool that they were in this downtown stadium, which I, I did like the area and everything. That was awesome. Um, it seemed, you know, a little cavernous for uh, a, a second division team. But 
that's that's going to be the same pretty much. Hell, MLS teams have to deal with that when they're playing in Gillette Stadium. So, yeah. you know, it's it's going to be the same. But um, yeah, otherwise, it was really cool and it was a fun atmosphere. And I think that everything that Birmingham is doing is just like it's all reputation builders. You know, it's everything is on the positive trend. You know, let's kind of talk about. I guess the, you kind of mentioned it a little bit. And it was the fact that Legion are top of the table after three games. I mean, I, I I don't typically table watch until we're safely 10 matches into the season because I understand that it's just less than a third. But after three matches, you never know what you're going to get with some of these. Um, <laughs> um, and you kind of mentioned it. Um, Tampa Bay, if you are going to table watch, is not – finding themselves in a very fun spot, you know, with only two points out of three matches, especially two matches that Rowdy's fans really believe that they should have won in Indy, which they were um, hurt by a penalty call that happened five yards outside the box um, and then conceding late or no, sorry, having to having to score late against uh, Orange County. Um, in order to get the draw. And, you know, you can look at both of those matches, kind of going back and watching them and say, Indy was in it the whole time. They missed their chances. And if you yeah. look at the run of play, the scoreline is probably fair. How it, how the scoreline happened was not. But the scoreline itself is fair. If you look at Orange County, they're not the same bottom of the West team that they were last year. They're a much improved squad. Again, that scoreline is probably fair. Then you get to Charleston, and it becomes a 3-0 defeat at the hands of the battery. Um, and that was kind of the one where I saw the full panic button already hit in Tampa Bay. You know, checking out the USL show Twitter, I, we, we are around the heartbeat of a lot of teams. And Tampa Bay was on fire. If it wasn't for Louisville doing whatever happened against El Paso, I think more spotlight would have been shown on Tampa Bay. Yeah. But Charleston's a good team with a, an amazing coach. Uh, why Memphis didn't pay him, I don't know. Um, and Tampa Bay doing a lot of things that seem to be quote unquote uncharacteristic. Uh, is that kind of, well, how is what's been happening basically? What's going on with that, with this team? What's the struggle all about? Well, yeah. Um, you know, I when we get there, I'd like to hear, you know, how Birmingham are doing their t things tactically and everything like that. But um, on our side, like you said, the tactics don't seem to quite be there yet. Um, so with the podcast, we get to go to the postgame press conferences. And um, so far, the one that we had after the indie game, that was the one where I got to speak to Neil Collins and say, like, hey, um, how, how did you feel today went essentially? you know, or was, was the team up to your standards and everything like that. And, um, even prior to this, I will say, um, you know, when we went in there, he started the conversation by saying that even if we had got the three points, like if that penalty had not been given, he said that it still would have been, you know, a, a poor performance and he would have wanted to work on it. And, uh, I said, okay, well, what's the next step here? You know, how do you, how do you kind of change things? And he said, um, this is where we start uh, to put the season together and, and or put the team together and try and figure out where we're going with the with the season. And I, you know, just from my admittedly very amateur perspective, it was weird that uh, 
he said, you know, after the first game, this is where we start. And this is, you know, it's, it's probably no more than a slip of the tongue, but it seems like, you know, the Rowdies actually did kind of have a start there. And if you think about it, there is a lot of turnover with this team, but then, you know, we get three games in now and we play Charleston battery and they just beat us three, nothing. Charleston battery are another team that have a ton of turnover. Not only do they have a lot of turnover on the field, but they have a new coach, something you mentioned. So like, you know, I don't know that I want to go by the turnover route anymore. I don't think that that is um, sufficient to just to uh, explain away what's going on. You know, I think that unfortunately it's just a case that right now we haven't quite found what we need to do with the players that we have out there. So the first two games, we started with two up front, and that was Cal Jennings and J.J. Williams. J.J. Williams that uh, you are obviously pretty familiar with from the Alabama area. But, um, yeah, he ultimately put J.J. Williams on the bench for the game against Orange County, and Cal Jennings started uh, up top. But it was, you know, so far we haven't really had the same um, – not exactly the same formation for each of the three games. And I don't know if that's the team trying to change things up, but yeah, it's been, it's been difficult to figure it out. That's something that I really want to jump in on. Um, and we'll talk about the Legion players going South and JJ Williams, that Caravo and Freddie Kleeman, all former Legion players going down South and playing for the Rowdies. Um, you mentioned the formation. And this is the big thing for me. This is where I think most of the things are honestly going wrong. Um, we are, I, I decided to go back and watch all the Rowdies matches so far and just take notes, see what's going on. Cause I'm confused. And there's been a couple of things. I mean, Leo Fernandez being out, I mean, that's going to hurt everybody. No, there's no team in the league that could recover from that kind of loss, at least not fully. Right. right. And so to say that that's the entire reason, yes and no, I don't think that tells the whole story. So I want to start in net because there was something I kind of discovered and it's not really fair, but every single shot that has been conceded so far, Brent is uh Breno's in net right now. Mm-hmm. Every single, every single goal that has gone in, which has been five have all been to his right. Not a single one have gone above him or to his left. They have all, every single one, been to his right. Two penalties, one that he guys bought to, one deflection. It's a small sample size. But it's a sample size that I think it's a little bit worth noting because if you look at the rest of the matches and the saves that he makes, going down to his left looks really comfortable. Look, If you watch him go down to his right, especially as the matches go on, he just looks more and more unsure of himself. And I don't know if that's a confirmation bias by me or not. But to me, and this is my opinion, Connor Sparrow, who has been injured, is the much better goalkeeper. To mm-hmm. me, I thought he was the third best goalkeeper in the league last year. Mm-hmm. And he's been sitting on the bench with injury. And when you then you get to the formation, and this is where I think a lot of the issues are coming breaking down. When you think of the Rowdies, you think of a three-man back line. You have three center backs now with, you know, Forrest Lasso, manning the middle, you know, doing Forrest Lasso things, right? And then you have a five-man midfield, so three-five, have whatever they're doing, a defensive midfielder that can sit deep but is allowed to go forward. Like, you know, Lee Hilton, he loves to go in there, sit deep, and just spray the ball all around the pitch, get to Leo Fernandez, let Leo do his thing. Exactly. Then two, yeah. men, then two men up top, 
they do whatever. This season, more the formation they've gone with the most has been the 4-4-2. And it's interesting because if you look at this last Charleston match and you look at their at their, you know, 3-5-2, they did it a little bit, but not much at all. They were only oh, they actually didn't run the 3-5-2 like barely at all against um against the battery. They went they decided to go for that uh 4-4-2 and it was obvious so many chances uh, that you see were created because of a of a misplayed ball in the midfield that I think Lee Hilton wouldn't do and yeah. it left <laughs> it left a it left the back line in a terrible position and let's say if that does happen if the back if the midfielder plays a horrible ball and they have to break down a, a counterattack they only have two guys back there. The first goal, granted, amazing goal by Charleston. It there was only two. It was a three v two. If they were in their normal, you know, three five two, it's at least three on three, and you can slow down that attack just a hair more. Yeah. But they're not doing it, and it's just leading to goals and leading to scoring opportunities. And I don't understand what the change is. So, yeah, I mean, if you. I, I like that uh, perspective there. Uh, you know, the Rowdies are known for at least the Neil Collins era, let's say, to have three at the back. So if we went back to 2021, which was the best year uh, in, you know, in recent history, um, we set the the points record and we got to the final. And unfortunately, the final didn't go our way. All of that happened. But that was the year that we all looked and said the Rowdies were doing the best and if you look at the back line, it was Forrest Lasso in the middle, and then it was Aaron Guillen as kind of a left center back, left uh, full back, depending on, you know, where the ball is. Jordan Scarlett was to the right, and then we had two wing backs. So if you look at the roster now, uh, Forrest Lasso was away for a season, and now he's come back. Um, you know, I can't speak to everything that happened in Sweden, um, but he was with a team that unfortunately got relegated, probably partially why he's back here, but... Um, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know how that went for him personally. I'm assuming that it was a lot of growth just because it's hard to, you know, I, the old saying goes, you learn the most about yourself or you learn the most, I guess, when times are tough. So you probably learn a lot when you're on, on the receiving end uh, at the bottom of the Swedish league, as opposed to, you know, um, being the team with most of the possession or whatever at the top of the USL championship. So I'm not um, going to speak on that specifically, but Jordan Scarlett is also out of the team now. And then Aaron Guillen has been playing as our left back. I actually think that Aaron Guillen has been doing, you know, one of the best jobs that we've had so far this year. Um, he was a USL, I believe, all first league, if not all second league uh, selection for last season. So, you know, he's got the pedigree. He was named team captain before the season started. And, yeah, the fact that Connor Sparrow is not in, as much as I do like Connor Breno, or Connor, as long as much as I do like Phil Breno, um, you know, he has earned his own little place in Rowdy's lore just because of what he did last season um, in the lead up to the playoffs. But yeah, <laughs> well, uh, it was it was definitely Phil Breno's pleasure. But um, yeah, it, he's he's earned, uh, like I said, his spot in Rowdy's lore. But, um, you know, it would probably still be better if we had Connor Sparrow in there. I think that, as you said, he, it's just that he is such a far and away 
um, a crazy good goalkeeper that, you know, it, it would just be better. Like, you know, if you look at Germany, let's say Mark Andre Terstegen is a very good goalkeeper, but it would be better if they had Manuel Neuer in it. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, probably a silly comparison, but it's, you know, it demonstrates the point. Um, I think that right now it's, it's just kind of a problem where the team is feeling itself out in terms of what is the best lineup. And I think that there's obviously enough talent on there that they're going to be able to eventually put it together. Uh, we just hope as fans that it doesn't take a long time to put it all together because, you know, this is supposed to be the um, the do it season. They went out and they got all of these players who are, um, you know, I don't want to say that they're not young players because not everyone is a young player on there, but they're not old players either, of course. I don't want to, you know, portray it that way. But this was supposed to be the se- the team that was able to put everything together from the past few years and go and get a trophy here. And, um, you know, unfortunately, Forrest Lasso has come in and he's uh, given away two penalties. As you said, one of them really wasn't a penalty, but one of them certainly was a penalty. I'm not sure what happened with that against Charleston. And then um, the other big piece that I would say at this point is just um, someone you mentioned, Lewis Hilton, is not in he started our first game and he is he was injured in the first six or seven minutes and then we haven't had him since then and as much as lewis hilton and leo fernandez like you can't rely on two guys to have your whole team function um unfortunately if you have those two in your team you're also going to want to rely on them because they're so good at this level and they've done so much so the fact that uh leo is out is a huge thing the fact that lewis hilton is out now then you know that's another thing that compounds it and um, we just don't have anyone who has kind of filled that gap yet. I mean, Zach Haravo was brought in, I think, as a midfielder. And so far, he's actually played it right back for the most part. So um, I'm, I'm sure he's I'm sure he's, you know, happy to be on the field like any professional player. But it's just it's just kind of weird that all of these things are going on at the same time. I kept saying Lee Hilton, and I'm pretty sure there was a Lee Hilton that played midfield way way back for like West Ham and that I'm thinking of. I don't know why I kept saying Lee and not Lewis, but it's fine. It, it's I didn't funny. even catch I, it. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that with Haravo, I mean, this is something we saw with Legion. He is a true defensive midfielder, a true center midfielder, but he played a lot of his time here in Birmingham for the, oh, how long was he here? For the three years that he was here, he was a center back option. He played a lot of center back for Legion. And they you saw a little bit of, you know, center back, um, you know, third center back already down in um, Tampa Bay. We've already seen that a little bit in those preseason friendlies that that's where Zach was playing a little bit. Doesn't shock me at all. That's just kind of who he is. But it, I don't really understand the move. And this is one of the things that I said preseason. I made a couple of comments preseason. I'm getting a little bit of flack for it. And it's fine. But uh, this is a team that when you saw the talent, this was before the Leo, you know, imp- stuff came out and a lot of other injuries happened and whatnot. But I said that this team has the potential to be the best USL team of all time. You look at all the people that are on the pitch when healthy, you look at the roster, you look at the coach, you say, this is a good team. This is arguably one of the best teams. You can't really find a hole at all with a starting 11. When you look at that starting 11, you could put it up with anybody in the country, um, in the USL. But it also led to a second question. And 
this was this was when I got a lot of pushback from with Rowdy fans. And now that we're in the middle of the season, I'm starting to see it sneak in a little bit. If this team isn't successful and doesn't make the USL final or, you know, hey, doesn't even host a playoff game because they because of a rough start to the season. How when does Neil Collins seat get a little too hot to handle? Yeah, I mean, with that, I I, I don't have like a, a very good answer just offhand because I think that Neil Collins not only has like a bit of cachet because he was a former player and, you know, um, it, that that helps. But he's also built up a very good reputation over the years that he's been coaching. And um, not to say that it wouldn't take a lot either, because I will say there are people who are antsy online. That happens. But um, you kind of have to here's here's the way kind of to gauge it is like you have the the very online base of fans and the base of fans are going to be the ones who use uh, Twitter to talk about the rowdies. They might have a discord, something like that, you know, so under uh, in that group, there is some angst already. And, you know, I don't know if it's like. Um, I don't know if people are like, well, we got a sack needle. You know, it's only three games in. I certainly haven't seen that anywhere. If anybody's feeling that, luckily it hasn't crossed my timeline. But <laughs> right. um, but if it starts to get, you know, if it continues and it starts to break containment, so to speak, and it starts to get into like the the less casual fan base, the ones who are there with their family. And, you know, maybe during the game, they're on their phone a little bit. They're not like paying attention to every every play they're not the ones who are doing the chants and doing the clapping and, and you know setting off the smoke bombs and everything if it starts to break containment that's when i would be a little bit worried but um you know with it only being three games in this season i think that that's very hard to i think that that's very hard to expect that it would do um but yeah it, it's there's a very good chance to turn it around this weekend uh because we're hosting but otherwise if we were just playing Birmingham at any neutral venue or in Alabama, I would feel obviously a lot less secure about this. The only, I think the saving grace that's in my head is that this is a home game. And, you know, if we can get a good result here, then that'll probably quell some of the, um, that'll probably quell some of the in, you know, the in discord fans, the on, the on Twitter fans. And then um, if they're quiet, then if they're a little more quieted, then the regular fans are certainly not going to be uh, knocking down the doors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I only ask because, I mean, Tampa has been so close so many times now. Yeah. Um, just so close so many times now, you know, making however many straight Eastern Conference finals last year feeling like they should have won the match going up a man in the Eastern Conference Finals and then a scramble in the box at, in the extra time does it. You know, I guess the question is, it's just how long is close enough not going to be good enough? And that, and it's not fair because Neil is a wonderful human from everybody that I've talked to. He's a wonderful person to have around you know, the locker room, the front office, you know, and kind of what you mentioned with families. I mean, he's good with like kids and stuff like that. Very wonderful to talk to, you know, that's the part you have to think about when you're working at this level too. It's not like you're at man city where the relationship between coach and fans is basically non-existent. It's when you're working at this level, unless you're Julia Roberts. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like it's it's so intertwined. And I think what you're saying with like if the normal fans, the ones who aren't always listening to podcasts, the ones that aren't reading articles, the ones that aren't on Twitter, aren't on Discord, if that starts to get loud, I think I think you're probably right. That's probably when you know that front office needs to evaluate and say, hey, what's going on here? Right. Um, but this team is interesting and I'm really excited about what this team has to offer um, because we saw it in the Charleston game and we've seen it a lot. They are, and we saw it last year too. This is a big team. They got big bodies. They, they are kind of in the same vein as this Legion squad is. You are seeing how many players that are six foot tall and taller. That was mostly how Legion has been built for a long time. And now Legion has Alex Cronale, who might be the only person who can look Forrest Lasso in the eye. Actually, I think Alex may be taller than Forrest. Um, and then Fanwell, you know, can hold his own six foot two. You know, Juan is six foot two, six foot three. But then you look over uh, Zach Caravo, who is not a small human. Forrest Lasso, big human. You yeah. know, uh, Cal Jennings, big human, lots of big bodies. And against Charleston, the set pieces gave a lot of trouble, right? But I want to see how this set piece battle goes down between these two teams because it's going to be physical. And I'm excited to watch that. Yeah, um, I think especially in 2021, um, we were kind of, I, I don't want to say known for it because that seems like I'm, you know, I, I, I don't know, interviewing other fan bases or whatnot. But um, I think that we had definitely developed at least a reputation for being, you know, particularly dangerous on set pieces. It was unfortunate that set pieces helped undo us in the actual final. But um, over the course of the 2021 season, yeah, Forrest Lasso was a huge impact. But then there were several other guys. And um, I think that we had... Uh, you know, Steven Dos Santos was another one who was uh, six foot four or whatever he was. And um, he was heavily involved over the course of that whole season. So um, that's another thing at the moment that I guess we're missing with Lewis Hilton being our usual set piece taker and he's not there. So I'm hoping obviously that he's back this weekend. He hasn't been actually put on the injured on like the injury list yet. So he's just been questionable each game. If that's the case, then he's got to be back soon is my assumption. But um, yeah, we don't have any confirmation just yet. And I would love to get us back on the set pieces. <laughs> that would be good. You know, one last thing on the rowdies that this is just a small thing. And I'm a big proponent of XG doesn't really mean anything. XG is a, it, it's just a stat that exists, but for each particular match, but I think it's important when you look at XG and stuff, to see what is a pattern because if this is a team let's just throw an example the rowdies are averaging 1.12 xg every single game every single game that's exactly what they that's exactly what they score and then they come across i don't know uh pittsburgh and they put up a 3.17 it's like that's a statistical anomaly or they come out against loudon and they only put up 0.52 it's like that's a statistical anomaly what happened right this is an interesting thing the rowdies they average their de their defense is averaging 
one point i'm going to look at this just to make sure i have it right um they are giving up 1.67 xg every single game that is their xg 1.67 they are allowing 1.67 goals per game so they have a perfect one for one xg to goals allowed it's weird i mean that's i mean it's small sample size three games right but when you think of the rowdies, you think of defensive prowess, you don't think of averaging, you know, giving up that much, that many goals a game, or at least that many opportunities a game. Again, small yeah. sample size, three nil game, throw in two PKs, it's what it is. Still interesting and something worth throwing out there. Honestly, I think that even before the defensive lapses, which are unfortunately notable, even before we get there, I think one of the bigger things that we've had so far is just that our midfield has kind of been a little bit overwhelmed at times. Like um, with Charleston, uh, they have so far in all, all three of their games, they went four, two, three, one. Mm -hmm. And the three in the midfield, uh, Emilio Acaza, Andrew Booth and Chris Allen. Although Dante Polvara started uh, in the game against the Rowdies. Um, those three are, you know, responsible for a lot of the transition play that I think Charleston tries to do, that they will get the ball over to the wingers, who are extremely important. Um, Mark Hanich and Fidel Barajas are the ones that they kind of want to isolate. And, um, yeah, the first goal that the Rowdies gave up against Charleston within three, four minutes, whatever it was, uh, they transitioned very quickly from the ball at the back actually where the Rowdies had possession in Charleston's final third. And then Charleston won possession back and cleared it up and it eventually got to Markanich. And Markanich found Fidel Barajas who had a bit of space between him and Aaron Guillen and there was nobody else around, you know? It's um if they can isolate those guys, then that's where they want to be. But to do that, you have to clear a lot of space on the field, of course. And if the midfield is not kind of doing its bit to prevent those instances from occurring, then obviously it would uh, give that room for Fidel Barajas to take his beautiful shot. But um, I would, I would just think that, you know, with two of the three teams, at least that we've played so far, having three, three men in the midfield um, and we have two in both instances and we're just getting overrun seemingly like uh, more than once in that way. I, yeah, it's, it's, I, I think that maybe Neil Collins expected um, the Rowdies to be able to hold possession or something like that a little bit better than they did, obviously. And then uh, it didn't work out. But yeah, I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure where the where the disconnect was there. But um, yeah, with us against uh, Charleston, I had us at like a four-one-four-one, roughly, give or take. But uh, against Orange County, we definitely did not have three men against their three men in the midfield, and that was a huge problem. Um, yeah. I don't want to go back through all of it, but Kyle Scott, their central midfielder, he was getting acres of space, acres of space. And that was definitely, that definitely was a problem for us. I think a lot of Legion fans are kind of licking their lips right now because everybody knows in Legion land that Tommy ball, Tommy stone ball is the four, two, three, one, right? That's all the way it's always been. It's the way it feels like it'll always be. And it'll look like a 4-1-4-1 at times or a 4-2-1 or, sorry, a 4-2-4 at times. But the base the base standard is going to be that 4-2-3-1. And I think a lot of Legion fans are listening to that and kind of licking their lips and saying, if that's what they struggle with, I can't wait to see it. But also, I 
this is a good team. And I just don't think that simply saying formation against formation automatically equals win, right? Because there's obviously stuff within that and then player performance yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how this matchup plays because on the USL show, we predict um, 10 matches every single week. And this was one of the matches that we picked. And I say we, me, I picked it. Um, and I, this was probably the hardest one for me because, again, I keep looking at this roster. You look at the names. You look at the coach. You look at the pedigree. And everything tells you that Tampa Bay should be winning basically every single game. And I'm looking at that and I'm saying, I get that. But Tampa Bay is in awful form. And Legion are in relatively good form coming off of one of the best games in Legion history. And then even though the very end of the match may not feel it, Legion having one of the more dominating wins and a one, no win over Hartford, which was truly domination uh, from our midfield to, against theirs. So Legion coming in high Tampa Bay coming in low, but then again, you don't want to mess with the hurt dog, right? You don't want to mess with the hurt animal. You never know what they're going to do. Tampa Bay could come out firing on all cylinders finally being able to get back home. It, this is a weird match to try to predict. It is. It is. <laughs> I think uh, it's it's probably the best time for Birmingham or anybody, I guess. It's probably the best time for anybody to play us at home. But, yeah, like I said, I'm really hoping the fact that we are at home still plays into our favor. And um, But, yeah, no, 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 you're, you're dead on. I don't I, – I have no idea how this game is going to go. I really – I could not tell you. And I – like we're supposed to do our own predictions for RBLR. <laughs> um, I'm still working on mine. Don't have it yet. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Um, I think that's about it from me um, on the Rowdies. Because, yeah, I mean, we could talk about all day long about the, you know, tactical ins and outs of each team. And in the end, it, it sums up to what we just said. I don't know how this game is going to go. Usually I have a lean. Normally I feel like this team has a lean here. This team has a lean here. I have nothing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a clue yeah. because this is a different Tampa Bay team. They're playing a different style than we're normally used to seeing Tampa Bay play, and it's not working. So do they go back to what worked before, which, by the way, it worked pretty well against Indy. Um, yeah, the – you know, that three, five, two would end up letting in a goal at the very end. And, you know, maybe a draw is, is about right, but also would you take a draw? or Would you take another three, no loss? I think this is a time where Neil Collins may say, Hey, that's a great idea. Let's go back to what we do best, but you yeah. can't predict that. I can't predict what Neil Collins is going to do. This is one. I don't know. I have no clue. No, I, I, yeah, I think that you're, I think that you're right with that. And um, it's, it's I this is where I wish that I had like, you know, a little bit of um one of those like Sunderland till I die level documentaries of uh in locker room access or something like that. Without it, I, I don't I don't know, you know, what their motivation style is gonna be or anything. It could be, you know maybe it's all doom and gloom. I honestly doubt that, <laughs> of course, but you know, maybe maybe everyone's kind of down in the dumps. Who can say? I I just I haven't got a clue at this stage. Yeah. Well, that's about it from me then. So for people who are looking to listen about the Rowdies, whenever you guys come out with your predictions and you're recording, I believe tonight, um, mm -hmm. 
So if people want to hear your preview about Birmingham so they can tell you just how right or wrong you are, um, where can they find you? Where can they listen? Well, um, I am at RBLR James K. Don't let the, uh, don't let the mistake there, uh, put you off. It is at, but, uh, if you want to listen to the podcast specifically, it is at RBLR sports and, uh, RBLR sports can also be found obviously on all the, you know, all the podcast places, Google, Apple podcast, YouTube, Spotify, uh, everything that you, everything that, uh, you listen to, we should be there. So, um, yeah, please check us out. And, um, yeah, thanks for having me on Taylor. I, uh, like I said, when we were uh, talking beforehand, uh, I listened to the USL show. I haven't listened a ton to, um, the specific Birmingham podcast, but, um, you know, I do hear you pretty much every week. So, uh, it's, it's cool that you are doing what you are for the USL and in this space. And I'm happy that you could have me on. I really appreciate that, man. I'm at, I don't know why anybody listens to me, to be honest. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> but I really appreciate you, man. Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening. I appreciate you all. Like I said, come down to Ghost Train. Let's have a pint. They have this uh, this very cordial stout on right now. If you like dark beers, it is it is so good. So come have one of those with me. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good time. It's bound to be a good match. And, uh, yeah, thank you all so much for listening. I appreciate you all. Until next time, guys, keep hammering on.